Amen. Good morning, family. I'm so sorry, Tommy. I normally ask my wife for this, but you're not as wonderful, but please could you pass my water? Thank you. Thank you so much. Good morning, all. Can we just say thank you to the worship team? Babe, can you stop right there? Hold on. John, Jen, Tommy, all these guys. I mean, I know it's about the Lord, but can you guys turn around at the back just quickly? I know you cannot see them online. Can we just, we, we just appreciate you guys. We really do. We really, really do. Well, good morning. How are you? Good. It's good to see you all. It's good to see those at home. Uh, the leaders of the church, this church, went away this week, and uh, from Friday into Saturday, it was a good time. And I just had it in my heart this morning. We spoke about it uh, over the weekend. Just wanted to speak to those watching online that are of Free Life Church. And we just want to say we have not obviously forgotten about you. We miss you. We do hope that you are well. And uh, please reach out if you need anything. And uh, we are thinking of you. And we do bless you. So we just wanted to say that. You know, before we get into the Word today, I, it is within the heart. God has put it on our hearts for this church. It was on my father's heart. And and uh, who planted this church, but it's been on our heart for years and it continues to be to build a culture where people can genuinely come to know the Lord. You know, past religious things, past religion, past, you know, to come to know the Lord. Uh, it's the definition that Jesus gave of eternal life, to know, to know God. We think of eternal life as living forever. If, you, if you're in this church, you, you, you know this, you've heard it ad nauseum, you will continue to hear it. But to come to know the Lord, to come to know the person who made you intimately, the Bible says that He actually wants to be our friend. Jesus says, I no longer call you servants, but friends. And it's such a profound truth, it's, it's difficult for us to understand, um, and yet He's still our King. He's not flippant, hey buddy, you, you know, he's, he's still God, He's still El Shaddai, and yet the Bible says we can come to know Him, and, and that starts now. And so it is in our heart to build a culture. Jesus builds the church, but to establish and build a culture that there's a momentum, there's a river that flows where people, if they get in that river, it's just they come to know the Lord, you know, without some of the battles if they had to do it on their own. And that has consistently been our heart. So, a few weeks ago, what time do we have? All right, a few weeks ago, um, I went away to pray for five days or four days, I forget, it was a wonderful time to go literally up a mountain and spend time with the Lord. Uh, I used to do that every year. I encourage you to do it. Don't just, it's not a full-time ministry thing. It's a, it's a son and daughter thing. Yeah. Go be with your father. And um, it's sometimes not easy, you know, to pray and pray. It, it, it doesn't, it's not just easy, but it refreshes your soul. It re-energizes your spirit. It feeds you. And, um, and just in that time is when I felt the Lord say, teach a little bit on kingdom warfare, do some equipping. And it's, it's, there have been generations past that have been so focused on warfare because it is, there are important things to understand, but there is a big trick in the, with the enemy if he can capture your affection and attention to focus on warfare. Uh, and I encourage you not to focus on warfare, but there are times when we have to give some truth and basic explanation and, part, and so that we can partner with it, so that we're not, we're not held captive in our thoughts. Amen? You know, the fastest battle, we look in the Old Testament to see physical, practical battles, but there are lessons you can learn, because in the Old Testament, the natural, the New Testament, the spirit, in those old battles. And it's, you know, you face different enemies with different strategies. It's still true in the spirit today. And it's interesting to me, and I was speaking to the Lord years ago, just... I felt like the Lord said to me, what was the fastest battle won in the Old Testament, you know, and I thought, well, I know the Bible, you know, it was Jehoshaphat with the singers, and straight away the Lord said, no, it was Nehemiah, where they came up against him to destroy, you know, what he was advancing and building the walls, and they, they came up against him, and they threatened him, and they sent him an open letter to come down to war, and he just says, well, I mean, literally, he says, I can't come down and fight with you now because I have a great work going on. So, so yeah, actually, no. And, and in the ignoring the enemy, so to speak, he won. 
And, you know, we have to understand that there are many times that we just to shut him off. Just don't give him the influence. He's not that interesting. He, he, he really isn't. He's a defeated foe. And, and it's just, it really, just ignore him. You don't give him the attention. Really, I encourage you for that. Because sometimes he wants the fight. You know, my kids love the Hulk, right? You know the Hulk? And, um, and, you know, the more you fight him, the bigger and greener and stronger and angrier he gets. And he wins more and more and more. And in some areas of life, that's exactly what he wants. And so I just wanted to say that. But who of you were here last week or listened to last week? Many people. Wonderful. Because it, it does build. I'm just going to do a quick recap, and then I'm actually going to pray. Uh, we spoke last week. It, it's this kind of thing builds on each other. Had a lot of feedback from last week. It was very interesting. People found it helpful, which is, is always good. But it's, it's, it, it has to build. It has to wax in a sense. And so we spoke about heavens and kingdoms. There's three heavens, two kingdoms. You can go listen to last week, the kingdom of God. Jesus prescribed to the enemy a kingdom in Luke 11. Talked about the kingdom of Satan. And um, it's interesting, I said last week as well, he's not in hell. You don't necessarily see that. People think that. But the Bible says that the enemy, that the, the Satan himself is in second heaven, and which is the prince of the air, and that he's roaming on the earth. We think of, like, you know, children's, we think of him as in hell. One day he will be cast into the lake of fire, That's, but not now. And he roams the earth, and he operates through lies, fear, and deceit. But he has a very organized, structured system of hierarchy. We went through this last week. The enemy has schemes, which is actually the word in 2 Corinthians 2.11, I think it is. It is the word mind. He has a way of thinking. He does have a way of thinking. The enemy has doctrine. It says that in 1 Timothy, he actually has a belief system. The enemy has a cunning, deceitful methods, which we'll get into a little bit today. And the enemy does this geographically, which a lot of believers, specifically in the Western world, struggle to understand. He has geographical influence. Is why throughout the world there's just such different places, different beliefs. Now, obviously... And, and he wants to set up strongholds. A stronghold, again, we'll get into it in a little bit more detail today, is the way people think. It's, it's, it's an established truth, although it may be based on a lie within a culture or within a person's heart. And he wants to set up strongholds, which he does geographically. Sorry. You know when you're preaching, you drink water and then you swallow air. It's like you don't want to burp, but you need to. But um, it's okay. We're family. So, but he does this geographically, um, and that's, you know, you see, I gave you the scriptures last week, and he wants to set up principalities. So I'm going to read you this. Principalities, or princi that word principalities, by the way, means origin from the beginning. It's, it's fallen angel. It's things that have been around for a long time. Principalities, principal spirits or rulers that the enemy desires to set over different geographical regions with the desire to set up a stronghold, which is a fortress or a castle, that was the imagery, of lies that masquerade as truth, influencing the way people think in that given region. That's why when, when uh, Jesus came to the demoniac, they begged him not to send them out of the area, not to send them out of the country, because they were, in a sense, assigned there. And this is to establish the influence in the culture until the culture begins to follow, in a sense, the path or the, the desires of the enemy. Uh, but all the while, the people that are doing that often believe that they are doing things that make them free and that they are uh, with just and good hearts. I just had some texts come through. Sorry. Didn't turn my iPad on airplane mode. It would be a bit rude to text people back. But, and so God, Jesus comes... And he calls the church twice the ecclesia, or ecclesia, ecclesia, the ones that are gathered and summoned. And it was never a religious term. This is all from last week. It was never a religious term. It was actually the name that Rome and Greece called the Senate, not like our Senate, the way they established it. It was the power and the governmental arm of Caesar. And so Jesus comes and he says, I will establish, I will build my ecclesia, my church, which is a governmental, it's an authority term. 
and we made it very religious. And Jesus never came to create a religion. He really didn't. You know, the, the, the governing authority in heaven is a father and a son. It's a family. It's a family. And so he adopts us as his own children, the father does. And he calls us his ecclesia. The governing body as a family. And that is what the church is. And then in Ephesians 3, it says that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is to be made known by us, by you, not by preachers and evangelists, yes, but by the people of God, to the principalities and powers in the heavenly realms. And that word powers is the word authorities in the heavenly places in second heaven. You're with me. And I know last week was a teaching. Well, we're going to do another one. It's important to understand this. And then 2 Corinthians 10, we ended there. So I'll start there today. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 to 6 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, that's of earth, of the, nat- of, of the natural man. They are not carnal, but they mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Paul writes this, also he, ta- he's, he writes this to the Corinthians, and overlooking Corinth was a massive castle and a fortress. Now, some of what I'm going over today, if you're in, the, in this church, over time you would have heard some of this before, but let me say this. The Bible says truth sets free. Who agrees? Okay? We all agree. John 8. Truth sets at liberty. That's the nature of truth. But when does it set you free? When you hear it? When you know it? Yeah, but know it here? It sets you free when you use it. The word is when you know it experientially, when you use it. And so I say some of these things, some of them you'll hear them again, but it's important because we, the, the, the Western world, and I'm included in that, we love the thrill of principle, the thrill of understanding, the thrill of, oh, I understand. But will we partner and actually implement and use that? Sometimes it makes us look a little silly when I speak about dancing next week. Dancing is a, is a weapon, you know, but these are spiritual realities and spiritual truths. And so we have to learn to implement and use them because we have a choice. Either we bend our our lives around the Word, or we bend the Word around our life. And I find if we bend the Word around our life, you always end with a religious exterior, but a, a hurt heart. Yeah? And, and so sometimes there's some challenges. So I'm not meaning to challenge. It's actually, I get very excited about uh, speaking about some of the stuff because it's like you get to unmask the enemy, and people get to see him for who he is. So it says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Over Corinth, there was a castle, and Paul writes to them knowing that, a massive castle about 2,000 feet high, the, the mountain or the hill, and he, in a sense, uses that as an imagery to speak about spiritual warfare or kingdom warfare. And you can also get good strongholds. 2 Samuel 24, I think it is, it says, David went up to the stronghold of the Lord. You can get good strongholds. Now, the understanding of a castle in those days was something that you go into during the battle. There's a battle that rages, but I can go into this fortress and get rest, get refreshment, but the battle continues. And then I go out again. That is a stronghold, sometimes for the good and for the bad. It's where people, in a sense, uh, where they get equipped or where they get strengthened or where they get rest. And we can actually build a stronghold for the Lord of truth, like the Wesleys did in England. They built a stronghold of truth over the nation. Yeah? Well, I, I, I think so. So, strongholds, uh, imaginations. The word imaginations is where we get our word logic, logismos. And so when it says casting down imaginations... It actually means, this is literally the meaning, to demolish the reckoning and reasoning of opponents which is based on human wisdom. Sometimes it makes logical sense, and obviously I believe in logic and common sense, but there are things in the spirit that on earth, these things that make logical sense, 
but it doesn't mean they necessarily are truth. And so that's even Jesus used that word when he said to the Pharisees, why are you reasoning in your heart? Computation, reasoning. But that's good. Get an education. Of course I'm not saying that. But to demolish the reckoning and reasoning of opponents, which is based on human wisdom, which has become a fortress inside other people or yourself. That's what the devil offered Adam, yeah? You will become wise. They did, but it was a fallen human wisdom, not the Lord's wisdom. So, casting down imaginations, high things. High thing was uh, high places, which is where they used to worship and develop literally physical strongholds. And it's in any, it means barrier or rampart. It's any elevated structure that the enemy holds up to impede people getting to the Lord or getting to truth or getting to freedom. So, that's why we bring every thought, every thought. So, the tools that God gives, I call them tools because weapons will make us warfare-focused. The tools that God gives are mighty for demolishing lies that have become held up as established truths. And I'm not just speaking about this because of what's going on in the nation or in the world. I'm just speaking about this because of what the Lord told me to do. But it is interesting. God gives the church tools that demolish lies that have become held up as established truths. They're also mighty in God for removing barriers that the enemy uses to prevent people from knowing God and discovering the truth. They're also mighty in God for unmasking the deception of the enemy, bringing every thought into captivity. A lot of people read that. They're like, that's what they do, demolishing strongholds, but then we have to bring every thought into captivity. Yes, there is a part we play. But the verse actually says, the weapons are mighty in God for, and that is one of the things that they are mighty in God for. That's not just up to you. The Spirit will empower you to understand and begin to get revelation and to unmask the enemy so you can see the deception so you don't partner with it. He will do that. And that's what that means. So, I'm going to pray for us. Can I do that? Father, I thank you for your word. I truly do, Lord. I thank you that it will never pass away. I thank you for the authority that comes from your word. And I pray this morning that we can be practical and really begin to understand, Lord, spiritual understanding of the unseen realm and that we cannot be deceived because you, Lord, have won the battle. And I pray for wisdom and revelation for your people. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that we are not in a rush, that we come to hear from you and partner with you. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, when we talk about kingdom warfare, there are many battles, and there are many uh, weapons that we could go through a long list. Each one of them you could do a series on. Things like the Word of God, that's kind of a big deal. The name of Jesus, the blood of Jesus Christ, unity, agreement, we'll talk about that today. Prayer, fasting, weeping. When the Lord brings tears, that deep weeping that comes in the presence of the Lord, it's in the spirit realm like a weapon. Dancing, joy. These are weapons. We don't see them as weapons. They are, often they are principles of the kingdom principles of the kingdom, and that kingdom has a higher authority. And when we live according to or partner with those, those principles, it brings things down. Sometimes we don't even have to be aware of it. Amen? So, but I want to speak today two, two things. Firstly, agreement and unity. Agreement and unity. And this, these are not like these practical things that we do, okay, do this, say this. We may get into some of that in the future, but I want to lay a bit of a platform about how many of those things work, because without understanding some of this, and it's very simple, very simple, um, it can erode the effectiveness of these great revelations of the name of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. Those are good, but we have to have some foundational understanding of some of this. So firstly, agreement and unity. It's how it all started. The enemy needs agreement. He can do nothing without it. It's how it started in the garden. He got agreement from Adam. 
And through that agreement, he took Adam's authority. Why? Because he had none of his own. We have to understand, he, he looks for agreement. So he lies, he br- brings fear, and then we start to believe that, or we start to yes that, and there's an agreement, and it gives him, in a sense, power or authority. He does look for agreement. He really does. And the Bible says that the, the battle is won. Jesus has won the battle. So in a sense, the battle's won. So that's some people never talk about warfare. They're like, no, Jesus won the battle. But we experience in our Christian life, a battle because the enemy is still finding agreement in many believers, but specifically in the setting up of the systems of the world. And so there's a battle that's raging, and we are called to, in a sense, make known to the principalities and powers that the battle has been won. Remind them, actually, you are defeated by by the grace and the power of the Lord, not by us, but God will use us to do that. So, Romans 12 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, that word is metamorphosis, same word I think in the transfiguration of Jesus, by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. And a lot of people get very focused on the good and acceptable, but that word prove, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove. That word prove, I think it's in the King James like this, it actually means approve. It doesn't mean that God's insecure. It doesn't mean He's like, oh, I just want you to approve of me. Obviously not. It means that with a renewed mind, we start to think, as the Bible says, with the mind of Christ. We start to think like God thinks. When Jesus came preaching repentance, the word is metanoia. It means change the way you think. So we start to think according to truth and life and grace and love. We think different. And when that starts happening, it's a renewed mind that comes from this. We have a renewed mind. We begin to be transformed, and so something's happening in life. And the discernment becomes quick, easy. That's not the Lord, that's His. I can approve, that's the Lord. That's, you approve of it. That's, you can discern it. But it's not just that. It's agreement. It's agreement. Matthew 16 talks about binding and loosing, which we'll get to at some point in the future. The binding and loosing, anything that is bound in heaven, you can bound on earth, you can bind in heaven, anything that is loosed on earth, you can loose in heaven. And it actually means anything that has been bound in heaven, you can bind here. Anything, in other words, the authority to bring down the works of the enemy. Why? Because anything that has been accomplished in heaven looks in, 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 in third heaven, you know, in heaven like we think heaven, God, angels, looks for agreement on the earth. And when it finds agreement on the earth, I can approve that's the Lord. And when it finds agreement, it affects second heaven's authority. And it begins to dismantle strongholds. Because why? Because of the way we think. Because what is a stronghold over a place? A pattern of thoughts, beliefs. Enemy's doctrine, enemy's way of thinking. Is this making sense? It's in agreement that the things that we approve in a sense of God's desires, God's will, the things that are approved, it's in the agreement that they become a reality. They actually become a practical reality, that things begin to shift and move and change. So the enemy has been disarmed. We read it last week. Colossians says, having disarmed the principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle over them, speaking about the cross. So on the cross, he destroyed, when he rose again, he destroyed all the power of the devil and of the grave and of death. He made a public spectacle of them, like in the Roman days when they used to conquer everything and bring all the conquered kings and their soldiers in chains behind them, and they would parade their captives. So he did that. And yet, in Ephesians, it says this, you he made alive, that's a person getting saved, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of the world, because you were born like that, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit, that's the devil, the spirit who now works in the sons of obedience. So what does it tell you? That the course of the world is often being dictated to 
by the prince of the power of the air. Why? Because the world has blinded minds. And so they are unaware of the victory that's happened. They're unaware of even the fact that there's been a battle they don't even believe in God. So there's been a battle, it's been won, right? But he's still finding agreement and setting the course of the world in its systems and in its structures. Hello? Yeah? In its systems and its structures, he's still setting that up as he works within the sons of disobedience, those who don't know the Lord. And it's not their fault. That, that's their nature. They're not, it's not, they're not bad people. We don't fight flesh and blood. So the Lord is looking for people that can be unaffected when a person comes at them and not be swayed and get upset and offended so quickly, so easily. Because then, through love, you can bring stuff down without accusing the people. Religion points a finger. Look at you bad people. Look at what you're doing. You're bad. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't change anything. <laughs> it doesn't change anything. But we've been given mighty weapons. And agreement sets the foundation for a lot of it. I said unity. We know Jesus said every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. Every house divided against the house will fall. So unity is vital. Now, I didn't write out the scriptures for you. And um, <laughs> partly because I got back very late from the retreat and I just didn't have the time. But in Matthew 16... I'm going to try to read this as fast as I can. There is a spiritual reality to unity that very few times, I'm just being honest, I've, I've experienced sometimes. I'm, not talk, I'm talking about spiritual unity. You can, get, you can get unity and then you can get, how did I write it? Um, there is unity in fellowship, but there is also harmony in purpose. When those two come together, the Bible describes it as being in one accord. One accord. And so here, in Matthew 16, Jesus used the word church, ecclesia, two times. And in Matthew 16, we know the verses. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. It's not to the kingdom, it's of the kingdom. Meaning what? Of the dominion of the king. I will give you the keys that unlock things, that open things or lock things that are based on what he's already opened and locked, what he's already won and defeated. I will give you the keys of the kingdom, right? He says that. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So some people walk around I'm binding and loosing everything. And you know, and, and that's okay if God's really told them to do that because there is a revelation in their heart. But if I can just be honest and real, sometimes the, the, it can be weird. You know, like you're in a store, you know, bind that. People are like, what? You know, it, it's not that you have to worry about what people think. It, it's not that. But these are keys of, not to. It's not just entrance. It's not just going to heaven. He will give you keys that in the spiritual realm unlock things that the Lord has unlocked and broken and the shackles that have been torn and to loose things, people that are captive, to, to set free. And they're often principles or truths. they in a sense, the weapons. And so Jesus speaks about the church there, but that's the global church he's speaking about. Then in Matthew 18, he speaks about it again. Now, how do you take that, okay, that big understanding and bring it down within a local church? Because Matthew 18 is speaking about a local church. Two times he mentions the word. So I'm going to read. It's not going to come up, but I've, you, can, you can, you know, bring a Bible. It's, it's not a bad thing. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, Matthew 18, verse 15, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, 
that by the mouth, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let it be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. You know, this little portion of Scripture has been very misunderstood over the years. He's talking about forgiveness. After he teaches this, he goes into a big parable about forgiveness. And, you know, and so people say, well, I need, you know, you offended me, you hurt me, so I'm going to come and tell you that you did that, because that's what the Bible says. But that's actually not what it means. You know, I don't know if you found when you do that, it doesn't go well. You know, you hurt me, you bad person, and they're not like, oh, you're right. You know, of course you're right and I'm wrong. You know, you may get some people that react that way, but what it actually means when it says, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, that every word may be established, that's a quote from the book of Deuteronomy. And he's talking about the Mosaic law when you have prosecutable evidence that you would take them before the court, the Jewish court, the Sanhedrin. I have prosecutable evidence against you that you've done something, and I can take you to court. But before I do that, I would rather come and try and make peace with you before I do that. Oh, that's a little bit different. So he's speaking about grace, forgiveness. And then he throws out this statement. And I'm thinking, you know, you read this, you're like, what does that have to do with what he's just talking about? He says, the next verse, Assuredly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Throws out that same statement. Again, I say to you that if two, or two of you agree, can we say agree? Ah, agreement. If two of you agree on earth, people say sometimes, you know, you get spiritual and heavens. Well, Jesus said, on earth. Two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. How many times have you, have you tried to do that with the understanding of a natural mind? Okay, Josh, let's go over there and let's agree that I'm going to get a Ferrari. You know, it doesn't happen, right? And he says, because that's not what it means. He says, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am in the midst of them. Three well-known verses, where two are gathered, where two agree on earth and binding and loosing. But what's the context? What's he talking about? Forgiveness. Why? This is the local expression of church. This is an extremely important text. What had, the, what had the disciples been doing? Who's the greatest? You know, Jesus does all the stuff. He's going to go give his life. He's going to, you know, he's raising the dead, healing the sick. And they're like, hey, um, where am I going to sit? Like, you know, on the right or the left? And I think Jesus is like, really? You know, and then it's, you know, who's the greatest of us all, Jesus? I mean, just thinking with the old man. And you don't see any of that in the book of Acts. Because what he's teaching them here, the authority, the keys, the, 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 the principles, the authority that I'm about to give to you, the release of that authority, the actual practical release to bring change, to bring down strongholds, does depend, he's saying, on how you treat one another. They are linked. They are linked. Why? Because it's the enemy's way of thinking and the enemy's mind. And he's saying, if you don't understand that, you will consistently pray, 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 warfare, warfare, but in your natural life, you bring agreement to the enemy's way of thinking, the way you treat people, the way you look at people, the way you do things, and in a sense, it binds you from having the ability to actually loosen, to, to bring authority to change situations. And so you see this in Acts chapter 2. It says they were in one accord. The word is homothymodon. It means one mind. That is supernatural unity. It doesn't come through, I'm sitting down with Kemper, sorry, and, and, and we're talking and we disagree, but we just, we choose to agree. You know, yeah, I don't like you, but I'll agree. No, that's, it's not that one mind. It's a supernatural unity, and it actually means talking about the mind of Christ. It's not me thinking from myself. It's not me, 
my interests, my will. No, it's God's will, God's purposes, God's plan, the ecclesia. I live around the king, and he wants to implement his desires, his plan. And there's a supernatural unity that comes, and a people are in one accord because we're thinking differently because we've unmasked deceit and fear and lies, and he tries to put us against one another because if there can be division, a house will fall. So important. And it actually has to do with the release of his supernatural power of the Spirit, the authority of God. And he says it's, it's, it's linked to how you treat one another, guys. So you see these people in one accord, and I threw up some of the scriptures, which I won't go through to. Most of the first five chapters, all the big things, Acts 1, Acts 2, when the Spirit of God came, it says they were in one accord and in one place. When you get people in one accord and in one place, we have no idea what's possible. But it's also something that only the Lord can do because it requires a change of the heart. But you can ask him. I do all the time. Lord, teach us to be in one accord. It's not self-interest. It's his interest. A whole different way of thinking. It's the mind of Christ. Acts 4, when the building shook, just before it says they were in one accord. Acts 5, when everyone was healed, the apostles, did, just before it says they were in one accord. You can go through the book of Acts and see how many times it uses that phrase. And it's often preceding or coming just after a powerful move of God. He waits for us to be in one accord. <laughs> That's what it means to have a renewed mind that you can approve the will of God, bring agreement to God's will, and actually see it demonstrated on the earth. The power of agreement is greatly strengthened when people in the same location are in spiritual unity. This is why I say spiritual warfare. It's not just binding, loosing, deep intercession, and in Jesus' name, Satan. It is that for those. You grow into, that does, that's a reality. That does happen. But spiritual warfare also is how I treat you and how, how I think of myself and how I think of you and the lies that constantly bombard and come at you and how we deal with that because we don't want to bring agreement because things are released through agreement. Things are established through agreement. Yeah? Does that make sense? Isn't it simple? Yeah. It's a little difficult, though. But it is simple. It is very, very simple. The weapons, mighty and God for the pulling down of strongholds to make the principalities and powers aware of the manifold wisdom of God. So, number two, and I, I'm not sure I'll finish this, but talk about His Word and His presence. Ephesians 6 and 1 Thessalonians 5. Uh, you know, I still wanted to talk about joy today. I just didn't get there. As I started to write down what I felt the Lord said, I was literally saying, Lord, you know, we need to leave some space for joy. And so we'll, we'll guess, I guess we'll get to that next week if he allows. But Ephesians 6 and 1 Thessalonians 5 are, are very important scriptures when it comes to understand um, principles in a sense that become powerful in our hands. And so Ephesians 6, we know it. Finally, my brethren, verse 10 Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. And then it tells you how. You know, I, I trust, you know, that's just the way I read the Bible. <laughs> I read it slowly because we just read it. And let me say this quickly about the Bible. I would encourage you, like, actually read the Bible. I know that sounds crazy, but I'll tell you why, because... I, was, I said this to, to the leaders, you know, this weekend. We were talking about children. And I was saying, read the Bible to, to your children. Why? People say, well, they don't understand it. And I hear that people say it a lot. I read the Bible, I don't understand it. Okay, if I had to say to you, what did you eat four weeks ago on a Wednesday at, you know, for lunch? And I was like, I don't know. Okay. But it was important that you ate so that you can remain healthy, so that you can feed your body. 
You know, the Scripture, when you read the Scripture, it feeds your spirit man. The, the, the measure, if you would say, the measure of impact is not on how you recall or even how you understand. It's over a season you are feeding your spirit man so you stay healthy. You know, you stay healthy. Doesn't mean you have to be a preacher, doesn't mean you have to understand everything, but you've got to eat. Read it to your children. I heard someone say, read it to your children, and, and he said, and then people say, my children, they don't understand it, and he goes, slap yourself. Like, like it, just read it to them, because you, you're, you're causing them to be spiritually healthy. They'll come to understand. You'll come to, we'll all come to understand. I don't understand everything in here. If I did, I'd be a liar. But it feeds you. So his word and his presence, Ephesians 6, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, not your might, not striving, his might. Then it tells you how. Put on the whole armor of God. Oh boy, I wish we had time to get into that. We're going to chat a little bit about it. But it's not a prayer. Please hear me. It's not a Lord. That's great. If you do that, awesome. Keep doing that. That's great. But, but it's not necessarily talking about that. It says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles. That word wiles is the word, Greek word where we get our word method, the methods of the enemy. For we do not wrestle, here it is, against flesh and blood, but principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this age, spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Put on, take up. Very different. That you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. That word, evil day, or that phrase, people say, oh, that's when Jesus comes back. No, that is the last day in the Bible. The Bible talks about the last days, which is an era of time, which we're in now, and the last day. But an evil day is just something that, it comes to all of us, yeah? You know, it's just like today was, man, it was an evil day. You know, let's try that again. You know, it's just that there are, something will come against us at times, and it's, how do we stand? Well, firstly, get dressed. And I know that sounds so simple, and I'm not meaning naturally. Learn to get dressed. You see, verse 10, put on the armor of God that you may be able to, in a sense, discern and stand against the, the methods. That word put on is indio. It means sink into clothing or clothe yourself. And it, you see the same phrase when it says this, you have not so learned Christ, Ephesians 4, if indeed you have heard Him and been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts they come from, where? Now we know. And be renewed, oh, there it is, in the spirit of your mind, that you may put on the new man, which was created according to God. <laughs> Colossians 3, do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on, same word in the Greek, in dio. The new man who is renewed in knowledge, renewed mind. So it's actually just talking about discovering the real you. You've been made new. All things are made. I'm a new creation in Christ. So I don't get up to fight the devil. I get up to love Jesus. I get up to represent Him. I get up for Him. And I put on that. It's just, it's the Scripture. It's prayer. I'm learning to get dressed. I'm learning who I actually am. Because that's who you are. The Bible says, I knew you before the creation of the world. It's not the you that was born on the earth. I mean, yes, it is. But it's not the you, that the old nature. It's the nature you get when you become born again. That's his nature in you. That's what he's talking about. I said, I knew that person. That's the real you. <laughs> that's, that's the real you. And you're learning this. It's an identity in the whole Old Testament. Clothing, put on, it actually means clothing, is an identity issue. You could identify a person from a distance. He's saying, put on your new identity. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I wear a robe. I'm a son. I am loved. Get dressed so that you can discern the methods of the enemy. 
He comes with lies and all sorts of stuff all day. And eventually, those things will get much easier. It's like you can see them. You, you, don't, you don't have to pay attention. To the, it's not always this big battle. You just you don't have to worry about it anymore because you, you learn to get dressed. Yeah? It, it's, you know, it's like a teenager. And I love teenagers, and I don't mean this against all teenagers. I'm looking at the wonderful jungle guys there. Not them. They're amazing. But, you know, it's like... I'm going to be this, the best whatever. And then the parent's like, yeah, but, you know, you should probably get out of bed before 12. You know? You know? It's like, learn to get dressed. You know? Just, meh, get up. Get a job or something. And, and, and then, yeah, maybe. But just get a job. It, 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 there's things that you discover. That's what it means. Put on. But then it says, take up. That word, take up, hmm, so important. It's analambano, which, again, I know we're not doing, I'm not just trying to bore you with a study, but lambano, Acts 1.8, you will receive power when he that the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Receive lambano. And then when it says, take up, analambano, what it actually means in the Greek, they understood this. It means you can only, in a sense, take up that which is, been received. That which you've under, there's been revelation. I know what God has done for me. I know what he's called me. I know because I've been learning to get dressed. I know who I am. I know what the weapons are. I've, I've been just living my life with God. Now there's an evil day come. Now there's a battle. Oh, I'm going to pick up. I take up because you can only take up that which you've personally received by revelation. Not just here. I take up. And he doesn't stand a chance. Take up. <sighs> and then they go into like the armor of God. And I'll end it with that. You can't speak about all of them, obviously. But you know... Trying to think I can do this in a few sentences. <laughs> the shield, the Roman shield was massive, made of wood. They used to, it was a practice, they used to soak the shield in water for a day or overnight before the battle. Made it heavier, but why? Because the Bible says, take up the shield of faith to extinguish the fiery darts of the enemy. That's lies. Fear, deceit, everything that a stronghold of the enemy is bringing to your mind. And so you distinguish is it the shield. They hit it, this water-soaked shield, and the fire goes out. And what is that? That's the presence of God. Friends, they, they, it's, it's not just knowledge. It's on your knee. It's, Lord, teach me your presence. Jesus said, when you pray, go into the room, close your door, and be alone with your Father. It's in, the, in His presence. In His presence is fullness of joy. And joy is your strength. You know, it's, oh, Lord, Lord. And you become accustomed to His presence. It rests on you. You feel it. People say, oh, Christianity is not about feeling. Well, the Bible says the kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Two of those are felt realities. And it's the presence of God. And it's like in His presence, that sting of what that person said, that, that pain of what that person did, that, 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 that feel of shame from what you did, the fiery dart, it, it just doesn't hurt anymore. <laughs> that comes from His presence. And what, you know, and it talks about the belt of truth and the sword. Why? Why is the belt of truth first? Because the breastplate used to be hooked in and the sword used to hang on it. It was the central piece, truth. Because truth sets at liberty. And then he says, and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You know why the Roman sword was short? Not because they didn't have enough metal. I, w I used to wonder about that as a kid. Like, yeah, get like a Scottish claymore or something. Like, you lob off a head from a distance. You know, like, why is it... So short, because they were trained, when an arrow does get through, and they do, you turn the sword on yourself. It's what they were trained. 
and you dig out that arrow. You know, and it's the Word of God. Because the Word of God is sharp, it's living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword to the piercing between bones and marrow and soul and spirit. I've been wounded, Lord. So instead of coming against flesh and blood, I'm going to take your word. I'm going to turn it on myself. And I'm going to say, Lord, thank you that in your presence, Psalm 17, I'm vindicated. I will make a covenant with you. I will not let my mouth transgress concerning the works of men. And you dig out arrows instead of giving the enemy agreement. That's what it means. So I think we should end there because that's a, that's a nice place to end. You were clapping. So I trust it's helpful. Um, and uh, I, I really do trust it's helpful. We'll get into some more next week. Can I pray for you real quick? Can we stand? We went two minutes over. And uh, I'm not really that sorry about it. I have to tell you the truth. And, uh, but you know, take up the armor of God but also learn to just get dressed. <laughs> Read the Scripture. Learn His presence. Because when an evil day comes, and let me just say this, when it says take every thought captive, you are not responsible for temptation. Stop thinking that you are. Thoughts come into your mind. You think, oh, that's such a horrible thought. It's not from you. Stop taking ownership of it. What you do with it is up to you, but it's not from you. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Father, we thank you for your word. Oh, God, your word, your presence. And I pray that as a, as a church, as a body, and every church in this region that you love so dearly, that you teach your people agreement and unity, one accord. Lord, let there stop being so much friendly fire in the church. Father, we pray your presence just upon your people. And we thank you. We thank you that we are yours, that we are chosen, that we are your ecclesia, and that you love us and that the battle is won. Teach us to show that to others. In Jesus' name. Amen.